0: From WDEV, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. Thanks for joining us. It's Wednesday, November 1st, and we are as you know here Wednesdays and Fridays. Today on the program, the business challenges faced by minority owners and those who work there. It turns out what we have known for a long time but are only now focusing on. Minority business owners in Vermont have it tougher across the spectrum from raising money to basic knowledge of the marketplace. But a fairly new group of professionals is attacking the problem. We speak to their leadership about a new report on the subject and what this group is doing about it. Secondly today, food. More precisely, why do we eat such bad food? And what does it do to us? We were not meant to eat Doritos and Tasty Cakes. But we do, in huge numbers, in part because we have a never-ending marketing blitz that tells us how great life can be if we just eat more of the stuff. Writer Bill Schubart joins us in the second half of the show, about 9.45 actually, to discuss all this. He wrote about all this in his latest weekly column. Schubart is a columnist and writer of novels, fiction, nonfiction, He's been a CEO and uh, is called upon by all sorts of authorities, including the legislature, to uh, opine on his opinions on all this kind of stuff. He joins us. And to round out the show, we remember poet and Vermonter Louise Glick, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, the Nobel Prize, the Poet Laureate for the United States and the Poet Laureate of Vermont. All of it. We lost Glick recently but we still have her poems and fellow poet Dan Chasen joins us later in the show to remember Glick. all that coming up today on Vermont Viewpoint the number to call if you want to join the conversation is 244-1777 if you want to email me the email is vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com but first an informal review of some news the Montpelier, there was something about the story about the shooting at the Montpelier school bus that threw me for a loop, and I know it threw others for a loop. Some folks living in a tent on the side of the road, apparently, and I, I've i looked this morning for uh, whether people have been arrested. I know that camp has been cleared out, but... Uh, apparently, uh, fired shots into the windshield of a Montpelier school bus, injuring no one. But, uh, people having AR 15s or, uh, you know, automat- automatic, semi automatic rifles in Montpelier and firing them into school buses combined with, uh, a recent spate of homicides seems to have me and a bunch of other people on edge. So, uh, let's, let's follow the news. We will follow all of it on this show, and we will have on – I'll get the uh, Montpelier police chief on the show. I've been promising to do that for a while. Uh, he he uh, bugged me on the street about it the other day, and so we'll get him on uh, to talk about all this and what we need to do about it. The Vermont congressional delegation wrote a letter to JetBlue Airlines complaining about JetBlue's decision to eliminate its – uh, it's uh, Burlington Airport, or Patrick J. Leahy Airport, uh, runs. It's clearly an effort by JetBlue to contract, save money, so that it can uh, survive in, against the biggies, Delta, United, and American. But uh, when I fly to D.C., I usually, usually take American, but I do love JetBlue. Uh, the jets are clean. Uh, they've got TV on the screen, on the seat in front of you. I've always loved JetBlue, but, uh, no more JetBlue at the Burlington airport. Karen Paul is the, is on the city council in Burlington, and she has announced that she is running for mayor. She will be on the show. Uh, I'm sorry, mayor of Burlington, and she will be on the show Friday. Uh, her, the first announced candidate, Emma Mulvaney Stanick, we had on as a guest last week in studio. Uh, Karen Paul will be joining us. She's a Democrat. Uh, I'm going to call her a centrist Democrat. Um, people will probably, she'll probably complain about that. But I suspect if you've got Emma Mulvaney Stanek out on the left as a progressive, uh, Karen Paul coming in as a Democrat. Uh, the other, uh, other uh, expected candidates, uh, among them Joan Shannon of the city council, have not uh, announced yet Uh, and one thing's for sure, the next mayor of Burlington for the first time in history is going to be a woman. And I think that's exciting. Uh, there is a new speaker of the House of Representatives, uh, in, at the United States Congress. His name is Mike Johnson. He's from Louisiana. I have not, uh, this, this happened while I was, uh, between last show, I think between the, the last show and this one, um. So Johnson, uh, the government is facing a shutdown deadline that is looming. Johnson has proposed a budget proposal that uh, seeks to bargain with the Biden administration and the United States Senate. It would fund uh, money for Israel to fight this war with Hamas in Gaza, but it would not include any funding for Ukraine in its battle against Russia. Uh, this is clearly a, a negotiating tactic. Um, we'll see how far Johnson wants to push this. I noticed uh, the remarks from Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, who opposes this gambit, and says that funding for Ukraine's ability to fend off Rush, the Russian invasion is central to the United States' interests and central to who we are. Um, and I thought that was a fascinating gambit from uh, Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell. It is really clear that Johnson leads a wing of the Republican Party, call it the Trump wing, uh, ultra uh ultra-conservative, and that McConnell still leads a somewhat more uh, centrist or moderate wing of the Republican Party, and it is a massive split. And it's going to play out in the budget negotiations with President Biden in the next few weeks, and uh, it's it's going to test the mettle of everyone in Congress. Um, we'll We'll seek to have uh, Congresswoman Becca Ballant on the show to come on and explain exactly what's going on in the House under this new speaker. I noticed that Becca Ballant opposed his appointment and election. And I noticed also that Congresswoman Ballant has filed a resolution to censor, I'm sorry, censure, that's with a U, uh, the, the, um, Outlandish Remarks of Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Congresswoman from Georgia. So the member from Vermont has moved on the House floor to censure her, a fellow member of Congress, Marjorie Taylor Greene. We've invited Becca Bellin on the show to explain what she's doing there. So with all of that, uh, we're going to take our first break, and we will be back with our first guest to discuss the challenges Facing Minority Business Owners. I'm Kevin Ellis, and you're listening to Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're back. My first guests are the authors of a new report about the challenges facing minority business owners here and their nonprofit membership organization that works to break down barriers, for BIPOC communities starting and running businesses. Their names are Huawei Wang and Tino Rutenhura, and they are the co-executive directors of the Vermont Professionals of Color Network. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I wonder if we could start uh, with Huawei and talk about the research that you did. Uh, You did a bunch of focus groups, and I wonder if you could start us right there.
1: Yeah, and just so you know, my name is pronounced Um, Weiwei. My apologies,
0: as always.
1: Thank you. Um, So, with the focus groups, you know, this project really started with the Vermont Small Business Development Center, and they were chosen as one of 51 grantees um, nationwide to be part of a U.S. Small Business Administration program called the Community Navigator Pilot Program. And so, this project was designed to reduce barriers that all small businesses, especially those owned by disadvantaged groups, such as BIPOC, um, veteran women, and those um, from rural communities, they often face in accessing critical supports when they're running, operating a business. So, in Vermont, we use the Hub and spoke model with SBDC as a hub, and the, uh, the Vermont Professionals of Color Network was one of nine partner organizations. And so we partnered with Main Street Alliance, which is another organization as part of the group, um, to really look at what all of these groups um, were facing. And BTPOC specifically looked at the BIPOC groups, and we ended up running 21 focus groups. And, um, you know, uh, business, small BIPOC business owners um, from all across the state participated. We Um, looked at sectors ranging from technology all the way to farming um, and everything in between the creative arts as well. Um, And we came up with some really rich, robust um, data, which at the face of it, doesn't look really different from what um, all business owners face, like access to capital, um, having um, awareness of business basics. You know, we all deal with infrastructure issues here in Vermont, but, what the bipoc community really um, kind of focused on was particular challenges that that they face because we do lack certain um, assets within the community um for example, the bipoc community faces lack of generational wealth, so when um an individual moves to a more rural uh, town and they want to start a business, there's not really that community capital that they have that social capital um that others might have such as for example having gone to um high school with the local town clerk or um knowing who the bank officer is because um of course. you know yeah. they, you know things like that so um and then not having the generational wealth you know not maybe not having savings or you know that fan- circle of family or friends um to draw from um for those support services for financial assistance, um, and that's something else that the report found is that um, a lot of these businesses are drawing drive, drive from personal savings or um, asking for funding from family and friends when they're starting out. But the BIPOC community doesn't have that. And
0: I noticed uh, that there are pluses that you found in in the report. Uh, and Tino, maybe you could talk about those—the the, the sense of belonging in Vermont, the the non-urban nature uh, of of the state, the ability to go on a business trip to a, an urban center but come home uh, to a more rural community. there were pluses that you found, were there not?
2: Yeah, that is correct. Um, I think um, the the very things that people in Vermont love about Vermont are the same things that uh, the BIPOC community loves about Vermont as well. You know, the fact that uh, we've all chosen to call this place home because of the, you know, the nature and the open spaces and the lack of traffic and, you know, the great schools and and, uh, the great outdoors, all those factors that uh, a lot of white people have kind of come to love about Vermont are the same things that, as a BIPOC community, we also love. And, you know, uh, black and brown people also hate sitting in traffic. And black and brown people also hate, you know, uh, crime and uh, bad school systems and and so on. So uh, we found that uh, the community is thriving in the state, uh, despite the challenges that have been outlined in this report, and are certainly um there's a lot of opportunity for us to continue to to be more impactful uh because I think there are so many opportunities for us uh that are not being made available um and people might wonder like why why are these challenges more for bipoc community you know when maybe there are also challenges for 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 white entrepreneurs as well and that is correct like the challenges that we've identified are not just black and brown a business sort of entrepreneurial challenges. They're also challenges for everybody. However, what makes it different uh, for the BIPOC community are some of the things that Weiwei talked about. The fact that as a BIPOC community, we have sort of always been marginalized. Um, I mean, ever since sort of slavery started, you know, the systems that have been set up have been systems that have been set up to to Kind of work against us rather than for us, and so you know uh you know the structural forces that are perpetuating uh or that continue to be perpetuated or acting against us also on top of that um you you take the fact that perhaps an entrepreneur who is a person of color is looking to start a business they've got all those challenges that a as a business person you're facing on top of that, you may add the fact that maybe they're a woman. And so all the things that maybe perhaps count against a person starting a business as a, as a, as a female. And then on top of that, you, you add the fact that perhaps they're also, um, uh, they're also a person of color. So you add the race aspect on top of that. And then on top of that, maybe perhaps they were born outside the country. So they speak with an accent or they, they, their English is not that great. And so those are the sort of issues that sort of compound uh, and go on top of all the issues that maybe perhaps uh, white business owners are starting, are, are facing.
0: I I wonder <clears throat> if we could, if I couldn't ask this question, which is we're talking a lot here about stereotypes and we in, Ver- we white people in Vermont tend to think that Vermont is inhospitable to people of color. Uh, and I think we say that very easily And I think, you know, you just raised a a series of questions about that, all all the way from me mispronouncing Weiwei's name at the outset to walking into a bank and talking to a loan officer. Uh, so many of us take these things for granted. And I just, you know, it, it strikes me here that, and we'll get into this after the break, but, you know, your membership in your group is climbing and, uh, I was, I was struck by its growth. Uh, and I, I, you're really striking a blow at stereotypes held by most of us who've lived in Vermont for a long time. Weiwei, Wei, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really appreciate what you're saying, um, you know, going against, like, trying to break down those stereotypes, and that's the whole point, because I think that um, to date, in Vermont, we haven't really focused on the BIPOC community, and there has been some attention um, since the murder of George Floyd, since 2020. Um, but, you know, our growth is showing, you know, people are here. They want to stay here, and now there's attention on it. Now now there's more data being collected on it. And without having that data, just like the report that we submitted, um, Susanna Davis is doing a lot of that as well in the state, Um we can't know where that uh, those assumptions are going to be perpetuated, right? And VTPOC right. is going to continue collecting that data. We have one upcoming around professionals in general. So we're going to be talking to professionals in general across the state, not just small business owners, um, because we simply don't know enough. We don't know what people want. And um, one of the goals of this report is to say, hey, service providers, this is actually what people need. They don't need... Um, recommendations prescribed down to them, they need you to meet them where they're at right now. And some of that is, you know, maybe it's holding a hand to apply for a grant or simply just having a conversation um, because it's really intimidating um, to be in a space where all of these assumptions are already being made about you as you walk into the room. And there's not even a question being asked of what do you want? Like, what is it that you need? How can I help you? And that's really what people want. And uh,
0: allow me to try to take that one step further, which is um, this isn't what you're asking for is not a handout. It's not a a special grant. It's just to be uh, it's just I mean, I was shocked, you know, by your focus group sessions. Uh, that you held uh, to do this research in uh, 2022, you spoke to 87 BIPOC small business owners, and I I was surprised at that number. I, that's a lot of that's a lot of people doing a lot of business, making a lot of money, and producing a lot of stuff. And I I was surprised by that.
2: Yeah, no, uh, and thank you for pointing that out. I mean, we are. I mean, as a BIPOC community, um, there was somebody actually who said something just the other day that um, i he said, I am Michael Jordan, and yet I'm sitting on the bench with my street clothes on because yeah. I'm not yeah. being given the opportunity to showcase my skills. And when I look at uh, different people in our BIPOC community who have, you know, started off, some of them as immigrants who came here as refugees that had qualifications, but those qualifications weren't recognized, maybe because the university wasn't recognized in the United States, maybe because they spoke with a funny accent, or maybe because they weren't that great at English. And some people that maybe grew up here, but they didn't have sort of the generational knowledge to help them sort of aspire to be something greater, That to know that, you know, if I work at my physics, I can end up becoming something else. Or if I work at my, you know, at my marketing skills, there's opportunities for me and so on. And so, you know, when we are looking at sort of growth of of the BIPOC community and the things that they've been able to do and contribute to the Vermont economy, it's incredible. I mean, there's folks that came here. I know a, a gentleman who came here as a refugee survived the genocide in Rwanda. And now he is a, an executive in our in one of our colleges, one of our universities here in Vermont. And that is because, you know, he was able to, to, to take advantage of some of the opportunities that were given to him. And there's a lot more success stories like that. However, on the flip side, there's a lot more sort of Michael Jordans that are sitting, that are being sat on the bench and not being given that opportunity. And so as Vermonters, we need to figure out, you know, who is Vermont for and what are we doing for the people that Vermont belongs to? And as a Vermonter myself, you know, the determination of who shapes the narrative and the policies of the state is critical because often, you know, the societal structures and policies that, you know, and the outcomes and beliefs and attitudes that are are held by those people in power are the ones that then get perpetuated. And so it's imperative for us to recognize that, you know, the programs and the decisions and the, Things that are being done uh, are not solely shaped by policies, by, by the people that are in power, but by a diverse range of perspectives and voices that are present at the decision-making table. And so what we are looking for as an organization is to have an extension of that table and to have a seat at that table, not just us as an organization, but just people in color, of color in general. So that an inclusive array of voices that are asking different questions, that are reshaping the narrative of what could be a more equitable and prosperous future for all Vermonters could be.
0: Our guests are Weiwei Wang and Tino Rutahira. Tino, I hope I have that right. The co-executive directors of the Vermont Professionals of the Color Network. Uh I wonder, wait, wait, I read your bios, and I was surprised that both of you come from different backgrounds and yet you found your way to stand up comedy in Vermont. You've got to tell <laughs> us about that,
1: um, that's funny that you bring that up, um you know when I first. So I, I came to Vermont when I was about five years old. I went to South Burlington high school, and I left for college. I worked abroad for a little while, and I came back. And when I came back, I was actually planning on leaving. Um, but then I discovered there were so many changes happening, and I thought about that, you know, clip of write what you know, and I figured, you know, as someone who wants to contribute to a community, I should contribute to the community that I know. And as I... Um, was doing that in around between 2014 and 2017 um I started to explore the resources um and that goes into kind of what we do today right um increasing access to resources for the BIPOC community and started going to the comedy club and I realized that they had um stand-up classes and so I was like I think I'm funny so let me try my hand at it um (laughs) so I did that before (laughs) before the pandemic but um Latino and I didn't meet in that way. You know, it just happened to be that um, we both have this, like, love for comedy, and he has that experience as well. Um, But we also have this love for community and making sure that um, young people in this community, BIPOC young people, feel like they are assets to the community, and that's really what pulled us together as a team.
0: And, you know, I wonder if you could talk about that issue as well, and I, what, what, Weiwei just said struck something in me, which is, we white people sometimes expect people of color to be sad, downtrodden, and oppressed, and unhappy, and angry all the time. And again, this study uh, pokes holes in those stereotypes that so many of us hold. And I just find that the the, the stand-up comedy and so so much of both of your stories. Sort of puts the lie to those stereotypes. I wonder if you could talk about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's just uh, difficult because it's a function of having <clears throat> lived in a society that was shaped for to to benefit one group for, over another. Uh, when you yeah. look at how you know structures in in the United States uh, dating back from the slave trade, you know there is an othering of Of people and that othering creates a grouping of like there's one group that is either socially economically uh mentally intellectually whatever um more superior than the other and so as people of color we've always sort of had to fight against that and maybe that is what contributes to the stereotype that we are an unhappy people and yet when you look at our culture uh, the sort of the black culture, the, the Asian culture, you know, the, the Hispanic or Latinx culture. We are an extremely sort of like, it's like when you look at sort of urban culture today, all of the cool things that people like about or like, you know, <laughs> are, are borrowed, borrowed from our culture because Correct. our cultures are happy and, and fun. It's just that when you then take, you know, 400 years off, like, Things going against you all the time, and everything being fed up to to marginalise you, that is what then creates sort of this this feeling of, of of depression and and sadness. And we shouldn't undervalue sort of the mental toll it takes and the mental health issues that people of colour face. But at the end of Absolutely. the day, though, when you then look at how we've been able to overcome that, and as an organisation, what we're trying to do is not ask for for help. We're not uh, sorry, we're not asking you know for for, for, um, for special treatment or anything. What we ask you for is a seat at the table and a piece of the pie. And I think in the United States, unfortunately, there is a <clears throat> sort of zero-sum thinking where yeah. there's always going to be a winner and there's mm-hmm. going to be a loser. There's never sort of an opportunity where we say there is more than enough for everybody. And in fact, when we, you know, you know, we believe that there's a fixed pie, and you know that you know progress of one group must come at the expense of another. And sadly, that economic model doesn't see the benefits of addressing inequalities. And even if it doesn't, it doesn't mean that we do not have the responsibility to do what our communities deserve. And that is to make sure that everybody has a seat at the table. Everybody has a piece of that pie. And in fact, if you give me a piece of your pie, that means I am no longer reliant on you, you know. And now I can start to feed fit, fit for myself. You know that teach a man to to, to fish analogy. You know, then yeah. if I can now sustain myself and actually then become prosperous, it doesn't just benefit me; it benefits you too. And that's how we should be looking at it, rather than the sort of zero sum thinking where we continue to think that, like, you know, if I give part of this of prosperity that I own and have, and I deserve, and I guard it jealously. If I had give it away, or at least a part of it away, then I'm going to be losing something. I don't. I think we need to think beyond that.
0: Weiwei uh, Wei Wang, uh, tell us how many members do you have in the Vermont Professionals of Color Network?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking. We have about. 2,000. Um, Some are business members, some are professional members, some are um, following us from afar as well. But we have, we're gathering up more momentum as well. And if you don't mind, I just want to riff off what um, Tino was just saying. You know, the fact that the BIPOC community, um, helping the uh, BIPOC community benefits everyone, I was just thinking about the fact that The Vermont community only makes up about like what six, seven percent of the Vermont community population, and yet we contribute in um, over a billion dollars in economic impact annually to the state. And you got to think about the fact that part of that six point three percent is includes children who are not of working age. So we're significant contributors, and by growing our community, by supporting the community especially business owners um, who are giving back, who are hiring people from the community um, that has a a direct economic impact on the state of Vermont as a whole. So um, I'm sorry I messed up your question, Kevin.
0: No, gosh, not at all. Not at all. I I was just, I'm surprised by how many members you have. And then in the materials I have in front of me, it says you're trying to boost your membership to Uh, 15,000. And I, I, again, I think I think what you're in addition to the guts of this study that you have produced, you're also just smashing stereotypes that so many of us hold uh, in, in, in the minute uh, that we have left. I wonder if you if, if what you both could give some advice to, say, a bank president that would be listening to this show. You know, what should a bank president be thinking about when it comes to lending? You know, they're in the business of lending money and making money, Uh, and what should they be thinking about when it comes to BIPOC communities and business owners?
2: Yeah, I can jump in and answer that. Well, uh, so Vermont faces some serious existential crises. Uh, Three of them include demographic challenges, employment challenges, and diversity challenges. And when you think about the demographics of the state, uh, we're the second oldest and third least most populated state. So we're growing older and we're not filling in those young people. We also have severe unemployment challenges. Uh, We've got a 1.9% unemployment rate. So with over 20,000 jobs, even if we filled every single job, there's there's still going to be about 15,000 unfilled jobs. When you juxtapose that with the fact that the BIPOC community is growing by 112%, from the 2010 census to the 2020 census, we are the fastest-growing demographic in the state, and so we're going to be the ones that make up your doctors, your attorneys, your 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 Guinies, your 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 bank tellers of the future. And we you've got to try to create an environment that is conducive for us to be able to help contribute to the economy of the future of Vermont.
0: Yeah. Where wait,
2: wait, was that a minute? <laughs> um,
1: so I would say, you know you can't um, continue on the path of the traditional one-size-fits-all approach. I mean, we're Vermont, um, and here in Vermont, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. Bernie, you know, wears those little mittens at an inauguration. So, and, you know, you could be talking to Ben and Jerry, but, you know, they look like the average person on the street. So let's not, When if we're not looking at the white community in that way. Let's not look at the BIPOC community in that way either. Let's not judge by the color of their skin, by what they're wearing, by the way that they talk, because they could have a genius idea. And we have many incredible business owners across the state who are looking for that financial assistance. And all they need is that foot in the door and that person to say, Hey, let's work on this together. Let's um, I believe in you. We can do it. Let me see what resources we have available for you. It takes Sometimes all that's all it takes, um, and I encourage those um, bank presidents and loan officers to really get to know a person first to build that trust, and incredible things can come from that.
0: Wei Wei Wang and Tino Rudnihar, the co-executive directors of the Vermont Professionals of Color Network, uh, you can just Google them. They've, they're on Instagram as well. It's fast growing, and this study is fascinating. And they're bursting stereotypes. I wanna thank you both for coming on the show.
1: Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank okay. you,
0: Kevin, for we'll, having us. We'll see we'll see you both down the road.